Hello there. And welcome to a brand new episode of my podcast, Podcast Racing. So I believe it was the last podcast episode where I was with Marianne and Brian talking about who we would want to be nominated at the actual Oscars. Uh, but we only did the main six categories, uh, director, excuse me, director, picture, and the actors. But now we're going to be talking about all of the other Oscar categories. Well, except for the short films, uh, because I've only seen one short film from last year. But we're going to be uh, talking about who we would want to win for all of the other categories uh we're not going to be talking about all five nominees otherwise this podcast will last like eight hours but before we get into that marianne brian how are you guys doing great i'm good awesome glad to hear that glad to hear that all right so uh there's quite a lot of categories uh that the oscars acknowledge but also at the same time certain uh categories or certain aspects of filmmaking that they don't acknowledge that we'll get into later but first let's get into the actual oscar category starting with the one that probably all of us are going to agree on uh so it's gonna be i guess this isn't gonna be like last time where we're going to debate over uh like who would be the five nominees and who the winner would be we're just yeah. since we're only sharing winners it'll just be sort of just like our personal preference and a celebration of the great technical aspects of these movies. So mm -hmm. first we're going to start off on what I think is the easiest one, best visual effects. Marianne, why don't you go first? If you were in charge of the Academy, who would you give to the visual effects artist the Oscar for best visual effects? Uh, it has to be Avatar The Way of Water, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, me for me too. It's it's too obvious. I mean, Avatar, what they did in that movie, it has flaws, but you cannot say that the visual effects. I mean, maybe there are flaws in the visual effects, but I literally did not see a single one. So I too would give my personal Oscar to Avatar. Brian, I would say a jolitary uh, Avatar: The Way of the Water um, as well. Honestly, uh, I know you have issues with the movie. I don't. And the visual effects are flawless. And what a lot of people don't talk about is that there's a lot of practical stuff done in Avatar, the original and Way of the Water as well, too. You could just A and B that with a Marvel film. And Marvel spends millions and millions and probably about as much as James Cameron spent on Avatar, the Way of the Water, yet as it gets to the final act, you can always tell what is a visual effect. When I saw Avatar, I was in the world and I didn't care what was CGI or what was not, what was anything. So Avatar, Way of the Water. Yeah, I would I would have to agree with you. Well, not that the movie's flawless, but I agree with you that the visuals are just astounding and like no shot looks fake to me. Like obviously they're CGI, but no shot looks fake to me. And I just got to give kudos to visual effects supervisors, Joe LaTerry, Richard Banaham, Eric Sandin, and Daniel Barrett. You guys, all and all the people who worked with you on this movie are awesome. Okay. All right, so let's move on now to uh, the next category, which is sound. Best sound design. And just like, you know, the Academy, we're just going to limit to, like, we're not going to do, like, sound editing and sound mixing. Just what movie <laughs> did we think 
had the best incorporation of just sound design in general. And I'm actually going to go first on this one because this category was difficult. I mean, there was mm -hmm. some really good sound design. I mean, like Top Gun, uh, Avatar, and Everything Everywhere All at Once, which wasn't nominated at the actual Oscars, which is ridiculous to me because the sound design in that movie is so creative. But this was really, really difficult to choose. But if you held a gun to my head and forced me to choose, I would say no. I really, like, watching Nope in the theater, I didn't watch it in, like, 40X or whatever, where they, like, move the seats around. And yet, Do we have a 40X time... theater out? Sorry, Colton, do we have a 40X theater out here? In oh, in your area, that's right. You do have a Regal in 40X. Okay. Sorry, never mind. I honestly have no idea if there's a 40X theater near me or not. But anyway, so, <laughs> uh, but, like, watching Nope in the theater... Like, the seats were still vibrating, even though it wasn't, like, that type of theater, because, like, the sound design was just that booming and just well done. And I have to give kudos to uh, the sound uh, design supervisors, Johnny Byrne and Diana Carlton-Timms. They're just, just great work, and Nope also should have been nominated the actual Oscars. <laughs> yes. All right. Sure. Mm -hmm. All right, Brian, what about you? All right, I'm going to go with uh, the actual nominees here. Uh, it's kind of hard because oh, there's a lot of great sound mixing, and it's just best sound now. So I think they've incorporated. I mean, the Batman had great had great sound effects and sound design, but uh, Top Gun Maverick, which I think might be the choice uh, because of all the big sounds of the engines and everything. However, I really think. And especially if you saw it in adult in Dolby Atmos, uh, Elvis overall, overall with not just the music, but the way I mean, Baz Larman with his collaborators, he begins every movie with this explosion of sight and sound. I call him the modern day uh, Ken Russell, and I mean that as a compliment. Except he he's a bit more of a storyteller and doesn't do things for shock value the way Ken Russell would. But Elvis, I felt, had the best overall sound design, sound mixing, as well as sound effects. You don't really hear too much sound effects in there, but um, incorporating Austin Butler with the actual sound of Elvis, I think, was a great way there. So Elvis for me, uh, that's uh, David Lee, um, Wayne Pashley, Andy Nelson, and Michael Keller. I got to say uh, that... Brian, I thank you for actually bringing up the names of the talented people who worked on these films. That's something that uh, I planned on doing, but I wasn't expecting you guys to do. So just thank you for bringing them up. Yeah. And as much as I really do, do not like the 45 minutes of Elvis that I watched, because I still haven't seen the whole movie, I got to agree it had pretty good sound design, pretty loud sound design. But yeah, it begins that's a, loud, and then it, it like every Larman film, he always begins with a lot of big sound images, and then eventually he starts to settle into the story. It's almost like he does things for thirty minutes to forty minutes to like grab your attention, and then yes, it starts yes. to taper off. You know, uh, it, it was that way in Romeo plus Juliet, definitely Moulin Rouge. That's what he usually does. He begins big sound everything and then starts to calm down 
and get into the meat of the story. Right, right. Uh, so, mean, Marianne, uh, who would you be <laughs> for best sound design? Um, this one, um, I had to tie because I couldn't decide between um, Top Gun, Maverick, or Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Good um, picks, good picks. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thanks. Yeah, so I was uh, debating between them because I kind of remember watching Top Gun Maverick, like the, you know, all the plane noises shaking the seats a little bit. And, but the other thing for everything, everywhere, all at once was the choice to not have sound in the rock scene is, you know, part yes. of the sound design as well. So brilliant. Um, that's an interesting choice. And so that's why I can't decide between the two of them because there's good choices made in both movies. Yeah. Both those movies had great sound design. And again, everything everywhere was not nominated at the Oscars and it should have been. Also, uh, back to visual effects really quickly. Nope also should have been nominated for visual effects. Yeah. But it wasn't, sadly. It should have. Uh, but now we're going to move on, on to the next category, which is makeup and hairstyling. Makeup and hairstyling, for me at least, this was the easiest uh, category to pick. Let's go with Marianne first. Uh, what, who do, would you uh, give the Oscar to for makeup and hairstyling? Um, well, this was not easy for me. I had to really think about this one and I was trying to think outside the box and not necessarily what was nominated, but I ended up going with the woman King because I thought there was the good mix of, I know there's a thing in Hollywood where like, um, black actors and actresses sometimes have trouble with their makeup and hairstylists because they don't know how to work with black hair. And so I don't think I noticed anything like that in this movie. Um, I thought it was... You know, it's a, a different time period, so it had to. It wasn't like, oh, that looks like a modern hairstyle or something. Like it didn't take me out of it. Made me. It felt like it was accurate to the time period. They have like war paint scenes, right? <laughs> Who's seen the movie here? I can't remember, but I feel still. I still have not seen the Woman King, although I'm probably gonna see it sometime in uh, later this month. Okay, cool. I loved every bit of it. Loved every good, bit of it. good, good, good. Um, so I think uh, I just went with uh, the Woman King for makeup and hairstyling. I, it was good. I didn't, you know, notice anything out of the ordinary, and uh, I don't know. I don't really have much else to say about it. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I look forward to seeing the Woman King. If Brian, you say it's phenomenal, and Marianne, you, I think you picked as like one of your ten personal nominees for best picture. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll definitely have to check it out. Uh, Brian, who would you pick for makeup? All right. Um, the whale is the obvious choice, but I'm not going to pick the whale. Uh, I've heard a lot of derogatory comments from the haters out there with Brendan Fraser, with people saying, oh, well, it's the prosthetics that really did everything. You know, it's like a bullshit. So excuse my language. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Naomi Don, Mike Marino, and Mike Fontaine for the Batman. The reason why... I don't know that's Colin Farrell as the Penguin when I watched that film. Good point. They, and I've won even his sound. I had to show my younger son, Max, when we were watching the Batman, the cover of the disc for um, In Bruges. I said, that's the guy you're watching on screen right now. And he's like, what? Like, that's the guy you're watching on screen right now. Uh, so, uh, I, I mean, I didn't know it was him. That's primarily the big makeup job that's in the movie is what they did with Colin Farrell. And they did, and it doesn't look like makeup to me. I think the best makeup jobs are, are makeup jobs where they don't call attention to themselves. 
And uh -huh, uh -huh. I just focused on the Penguin. And again, Colin Farrell got lost in it. Um, they did such a great job. My pick is the Batman. I think I said in the last podcast that my mom did also didn't know that it was Colin Farrell. And like when she found out, she was just so like shocked. Mm -hmm. And I and I thought that that was really funny, her reaction. Like, what? No, that's not Colin Farrell. But yeah, the Batman had really, really good makeup. But I would have to go with the whale. I don't know. Just like the what they did with the prosthetics on uh, Brendan Fraser, Fraser, sorry, was really good. And I have to give kudos to Adrian Moreau, Judy Chin, and Anne Marie Bradley for their great work. Okay. Yeah. It's def yeah. I mean, definitely good job. I just I didn't want to do it to call attention to it because of just the online um, um, world right now is just talking so much about. Oh well, he really didn't do anything. It was just the prosthetics, you know. So well, I mean, ironically, you're only bringing attention to it by bringing, you know, by bringing up the fact that these comments are even made. You could have just mentioned that the whale had good makeup, and then you know that's it. True, because <laughs> honestly, I didn't know about these comments. Yeah, they're out there. They're out there in the TikTok and uh, uh, Twitter sphere. Well, as much as I don't like the whale, I also don't quite agree with those comments. I thought Brendan Fraser's acting was really that good. And he was able to transform well enough into his character, even if while watching the movie, all I saw was, oh, Brendan Fraser doing a great job. But yeah, I would give it to the whale person. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. But we'll, when we talk about actor, we'll get there. We yeah, yeah. at there. the last podcast, you said that you and Marianne, I think, both said that you didn't see Brandon Fraser at all on screen. You just saw the character Charlie because he did exactly. that good job. Exactly. Yeah, well, I can, I can see that, yeah. I still am hoping that he wins the Oscar, but in my head, I'm like, he's probably not going to win. Uh, I, uh, I don't know. It's going to be tough. That's a three-man race, I feel like. Don't let me good. Don't let me get all Roger Ebert on you now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I want. I mean, I do kind of want. I out of all of those actors, I like Fraser the most, like personality wise. So, and it feels like he's had the hardest time with Hollywood. You know, this is kind of a comeback story for him. So, I want him to win, but I don't think he will. I think he'll go to Colin or Austin, sadly. But the makeup, at least, I think the makeup actually will win the Oscar. Mm -hmm. mm. Could be. I, that's what that's what I personally think. I think it will. I actually do think it will. So, well, congratulations to the whale, the woman king, and the Batman. Oh, and I know we're not talking about nominees, but I would have loved to see some more love in certain categories for that forgotten uh, George Miller movie, Three Thousand Years of Longing, that came out to, earlier this I year. I need to see that. I need to see that. I like <laughs> George Miller. It's not a very good movie, but the production design, the makeup, the costumes are all fantastic. Okay. All right. So let's move on now to production design, where, again, just like sound, Everything Everywhere was not nominated. And that's just idiotic to me because Everything Everywhere had great production design. But, Brian, who would you pick for best production design? I'm going to say Avatar, The Way of the Water. Now, a lot of people... Uh, and people had this argument when Gravity won for Best Cinematography, and they were like, 
what what cinematography? It's all CGI. Well, the cinematographer's got to sit down with the visual effects people to help them come up with the visual style and what he's going for in the lighting, even though they were on a green screen. They got to sit down together. So production design, it's more than just going out and building sets. It's actually world building, too. Some of it is building sets. Some of it is finding relocations. Some of it is doctoring up relocations. And in this case, they had to design, be it on paper, computer. And again, they did a lot of practical stuff, too, that doesn't get talked about in these films. They had to build that world with uh, Pandora and the sea world. They had to make it believable. They had to, I mean, they used a real animatronic and shot in the water for that sea dragon. That was that was live action footage that they did. So they had to really focus and build that world and draw you in. So mine would be Avatar The Way of Water. Okay. All right. Good pick. Uh, Marianne, what about you? Well, it's funny, Colton, that you had mentioned um, a movie that you thought didn't get any Oscar nominations that should have, because I actually have down for production design 3,000 Years of Longing. So <laughs> I'm glad we uh, are... Uh, both thought of that one for this at least a little bit i'm not sure what your pick is for the category but um when i was trying to when i was deciding on this one i was trying to think what i remember the most visually from the year because production design being like brian was saying it's not just set design but just overall how the movie looks and i just remember three thousand years of longing being very memorable visual wise like it looked really cool there was different different sets it wasn't just you know oh we're all in this one apartment or we're all in this one place like there's a lot of differences in the scenes and it just was a really cool movie to watch so mm. I picked it for production design and I thought about doing Avatar but I kind of also felt like sorry Brian but I kind of felt like they cheated because they already had done the first movie so like yeah they're expanding I on see the that world, but I could see that <laughs> they already but then did again but, so. <laughs> but then again when the Lord of the Rings films came out, they won the technical awards basically every year, capping off with the grand finale, Return of the King. So well, I, think they nice. still, <laughs> I think they still won for production design for... No, actually, take that back. I think Chicago won when it was going up against Two Towers. Oh, okay. Well, but the thing with Lord of the Rings, though, is that they use a lot of practical effects still. Like, yes, they're CGI, obviously, but Lord of the Rings also used a lot of practical effects. Yeah. But my pick, well, first of all, and, and also, Marianne, uh, thank you for uh, acknowledging 3,000 Years of Longing. That was very mm -hmm. nice. That was very nice of you to acknowledge that forgotten <laughs> George Miller film that, granted, isn't that good, but... At least it was doing something, like, different. Yeah. But my personal pick for production design would have to go to After Yang, another forgotten mm. movie that mm. starring Colin Farrell. Uh, Koganoda directed it. And the production design from production designer Alexander Schaller, uh, set decorator, art decorator, excuse me, art decorator Maxwell Lipsum, and set decorator Joanne Ling. They all did a great job on After Yang. That film is a sci-fi movie and yet it doesn't really do anything that in certain people's terms like grand visually but it's still like the production design really helps to set the the mood like help like it helps to form the setting of this world but also it helps to surprisingly like set the tone for the film and 
yeah. it's been a while since a set has done that for me where the set really helps to like set the mood usually we're setting the mood is up to like a director or even like the cinematographer but an editor but like it this with this film i was really able to like just have this the, the wave of not melancholy but just like what the tone that Koganoda was going for after yang it was largely thanks to the great production design i gotta see that too yeah it's not an amazing movie but it's really really well done particularly in production design cinematography and and acting is great all right so let's move on now to costume design costume design i am going to uh, go first i think that this pick should be obvious it probably won't win the oscar but i really want it to ruth carter is a legendary uh, black costume designer in Hollywood. She's worked on like Spike Lee movies, like Malcolm X, and she's she's been in the industry for a long time. And her work on the first Black Panther, as well as my pick for costume design, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, is just unparalleled in my opinion. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, Brian, what about you? I second you. I have, going back to Spike Lee films, uh, the first film that feature film she did was actually School Days. And I fell in love with her work when I saw Do the Right Thing. Yes, you could say, oh, but it's a street film and, uh, you know, (laughs) and they're just wearing normal everyday clothes. But what I love about Spike Lee and his first six films up to Malcolm X, because he worked with the same team, Ernest Dickerson, cinematography, um, Wynn Thomas, production design, uh, and Ruth Carter, is that they really played with color. And um, Spike Lee's film, um, Mo Better Blues, uh, which is about jazz, is very stylized. I love the costumes in that film, even though it takes place modern day 1990. It's still very stylized. And I felt she was robbed for Malcolm X. In fact, that film was robbed of every single Oscar that year. Uh, Don't get me started on that. So I was excited when she finally won for Black Panther. I want her to win again for Black Panther Wakanda Forever because her work in that film, it went up a different level, especially since she had to design for another culture as well in that film. Honestly, and to me, it would be a good apology for the other nominations that she never got. And that's kind of a stereotype, and I I feel the film industry, that if you're creative person of color behind the camera you only get picked to work on other movies of color by by other other directors of color if you know what i mean spielberg only used ruth carter on amistad why didn't he use her for saving private ryan you know what i'm getting at i feel of ruth carter i mean i i mean win thomas the only reason why I, i went to see ron howard's a beautiful mind and cinderella man is because Wynn Thomas was the production designer on those movies, who started with Spike Lee going back to uh, school days. And he's still kind of working with Spike Lee. Um, He's a great production designer. Ruth Carter, all the way. All the way. Give her every award. Every costume design award every year. (laughs) Yeah, she is very talented. Absolutely. Marianne, what about you? Um, I'm going to go against both of you, not because I don't think Ruth Carter did a great job in Wakanda Forever. 
Um, I went for Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. I don't. I doubt either of you saw that, but I mean, no. The movie's kind of about costumes, sort of. It's about dresses and stuff. So maybe it's because I'm a girl and I just liked all the pretty dresses. But I so was last night in Soho, and that was robbed last year. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. I just when I think about memorable costumes, I for the 2022 year, I think of that movie because I was very impressed with all of the dresses and the other. I mean, there's other costumes too, of course, but I just that's the most memorable one to me. So. Yeah, I haven't seen Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, but I have Peacock, so I probably will one of these days. I heard it's just like a really sweet, mm-hmm. just simple comfort movie. And I do know that uh, Jenny Beaven did the costumes, and mm-hmm. she's also another legendary costume yeah. designer. I mean, she's worked with James Ivory on the Ivory Merchant Productions, like Room with a View, Howard's Ends, Remains of the Day. She did Mad Max Fury Road. She did Cruella. She's a great costume designer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's actually funny. When you watch movies like Cruella, Mrs. Harris, and the Ivory Merchant movies are all like British, like taking place in like 1600s England. And yet she also did Mad Max Fury Road. That's just yeah. so amazingly funny to me. The range. <laughs> the range, exactly. The range. All right, so let's move on now to best film editing. Best film editing is one of two categories. I guess, well, one of not just two, but like several. There were several categories I wasn't happy with with the actual Oscars. But the ones that disappointed me the most were with cinematography and actress. And then following that is editing. I was not that happy with the number of snubs. Uh, in the actual Oscars at uh, Best Film Editing. What were you hoping for? Oh, I was hoping for more love for... I finally saw After Sun, and it's phenomenal. Made me cry. After Sun's editing is great. Decision to Leave and Women Talking all should have been nominated at the actual Oscars. I thought I that... See women Talking. Yes, you do have to see Women Talking, but I thought Banshees had really good editing, but I would have picked one of the three movies I mentioned over Banshees. Not that Banshees had bad editing, but just the other movies I thought were more unique with their editing uh, style. Mm-hmm. Elvis definitely should not have been nominated. The fact that that got nominated, I'm just like, that movie has such <laughs> bad editing in at least the first 45 minutes. Like, no. so bad. Um, How is it bad? It's supposed to be like aware of itself. It's supposed to be aware of all of the cuts and all of the noise. That's what it's yeah, doing. Yeah, but like, but 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 here's the thing: you can I, you can have fast frenetic editing and still make a coherence. Like Edgar Wright excels at that, and even Baz Luhrmann in his earlier movies, like Strictly Ballroom and Moulin Rouge, those movies have really fast frenetic chaotic editing. But he's also was somehow able to able make it like more elegant and like flow well, and it, the editing helps add to the rhythm of the story. With Elvis, I feel like it was like took away from the story. Hmm, okay, like too showy. Too showy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like like not with other like previous Baz Luhrmann movies. I thought his fast editing style worked, but with Elvis, it did not work for me at all. Okay, I can see that because I took my mom to go see it, and she did turn to me and was like, "Is the movie going to be you know like this the whole way?" Because. It, I, <laughs> I mean, because I could see it from that angle as well. It's it. He's doing a, a historical biopic slash 
epic because I do consider Elvis an epic as well. It was a bit too over the top at the beginning. So I, I could totally see that. So a bit over the top. It was extremely over the top. <laughs> just just terrible, terrible editing. Terrible <laughs> editing. Matt Villa, Jonathan Redmond, you guys should be ashamed of yourselves. Dang. They were just following directions, man. So <laughs> Okay, then Boz Lerman, you should be ashamed of yourself for telling your editors to do such a terrible job. Unless it's a, uh, unless they've been working with him for a long time and it's a situation like Thelma Schoonmaker and Martin Scorsese, whereas Thelma's been working with, uh, I'm going to call him Marty for short, because even though I don't know him personally, I feel like I we do have a, a relationship. Um, <laughs> she started to work with Marty on Raging Bull, which she won the Oscar for because of the boxing scenes, which she said, I didn't deserve the Oscar. He deserved it. I was basically following his directions. But she'll start editing now while he's still shooting because she knows exactly what he wants and everything. And then when he's done, he'll sit side by side with her to, to right. Right. Kind of like Michael Kahn and Steven Spielberg, like Michael yeah. Kahn, he, he's worked with Spielberg for over 40 decades now. Mm -hmm. They have a working relationship. Yeah. But, but yeah, like I, I don't know, but I, I apologize, Matt and Jonathan, obviously they're never going to listen to this podcast. So, but you never know, you never know. <laughs> Editing in Elvis did not work for me. The fact that I got actually nominated over more deserving nominees, like, well, over more deserving movies, I should say, like Women Talking, After Sun, and Decision to Leave is just baffling to me. Even Nope had better editing than Elvis. But, yeah. but Top Gun Maverick, of course, the editing in that movie is amazing. But I would have to give it to Everything Everywhere All at Once. What Paul Rogers did is in my opinion unparalleled like that movie yes. is the best edited movie to me of 2022 i agree paul rogers everything everywhere all at once even when he had to be flashy where it was just those split second cuts going through every world mm -hmm. like it's it's amazing it's, it's amazing i i think that was one of the best edited films of the year my wife not might not agree she think it's she thinks it's one of the worst films ever made and i have to watch fried green tomatoes tonight so that's my <laughs> life <laughs> you know i i too ha have uh, a couple most of my friends like it but i do have a couple of friends who found it obnoxious and unfocused and as much as I love everything everywhere all at once, I kind of understand where they're coming from. Like, I love the movie. It worked for me. But I can understand how people are too distracted by the flashiness and crudeness of it to really accept or appreciate the core emotional story. So, like, yeah. I, when people say that they don't like everything everywhere, I don't get mad. Like, some other people I've seen on Letterboxd or wherever, like, they get mad. We're like, what? You didn't like everything everywhere. You're like, you have no taste. You have no real taste in movies. And, you know, like they get, they overreact. And I'm like, like, guys, like, look, I mean, I think they're allowed to have their, their opinion. I may not agree with it, but I mean, <laughs> if you're, if your wife doesn't like everything everywhere, then that, that's, that's her opinion. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I could totally. So, <laughs> Hold on, so uh, was everything everywhere your pick, Brian? Yes, it was. And Marianne, what about you? It's my pick as well, because with so much going on in that movie and how, how much they have to explain with the backstory and the multiverse thing, it works so well. And I think the editing is part of that. So, Okay. All right. Nice. Nice. Well, 
congratulations to everything everywhere all at once editor paul rogers all of us except for i suppose brian's wife would agree that yeah, your <laughs> editing is great <laughs> all right so moving on to best cinematography gonna do this quickly before i, I get thought we did that one i thought we did it no we okay. haven't done cinematography we haven't done cinematography okay I meant, did mention before, though, that cinematography, the actual category at the Oscars, was very dumb to me. I would have replaced literally every single nominee that was actually nominated. Well, okay, maybe not all quite on the Western front. Uh, because I haven't seen that movie, but I have seen clips of it. And I think the cinematography in that movie does look very good. But I like there are so many other movies that I thought had much better cinematography than, like, Elvis or Tar, and I love Tar, but the cinematography in that movie wasn't like mind blowing to me. And Bardo as well, like yeah, I don't know. I would have replaced like pretty much every nominee in cinematography with movies like No Top Top Gun Maverick. How was Top Gun Maverick not nominated for cinematography? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Just, just how? And like The Northman, I mentioned in the last podcast oh, Aaron Wash did such a great job also like banshees banshees i mean okay some people might argue that banshees cinematography is mostly just thanks to the beautiful land the beautiful like irish like landscapes that they shot in but i don't know still it has to be lit a certain way still has to be lit a certain way still has to be framed a certain way exactly exactly yeah. yes thank you thank you but and also decision to leave i thought had pretty good cinematography but if i had to pick for best cinematography, I would give it to Greg Frazier for The Batman. Good choice. Brian, what about you? I was going to say him, but I'm also torn between Hoyt Van uh, um, Hoytema, who is um, also nope. Christopher Nolan's cinematographer for Nope. Not only for IMAX, but the non-IMAX scenes were shot in Super Panavision 70. So the whole movie is large format film, uh, shot on film uh, with... Real IMAX cameras and real, uh, with real, you know, 65 millimeter film cameras, IMAX and Super Panavision 70, or sometimes it's called System 65. But the Batman, Greg Frazier, or Craig Frazier, however, I didn't get my disc out. Um, that's another one. Shot large format digital. Great cinematography. I'm going to go with him because he's done some incredible work. Did he win for Dune? Yes. He did win for Dune. Okay. So because he won for Dune and was recognized for Dune, I'm going to go with Hoyt for Nope. Okay. All right. That's a good pick. That's a really good pick. Yeah. Like you mentioned, Hoyt Van Hotma worked with Christopher Nolan on like Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet, and all those movies look great. Mm -hmm. Marianne, what about you? Um, I actually am uh, going to not vote in this category because cinematography is one that I still do not understand. I don't know what cinematography, I know what it is, but I just, I can't, Well, cinematography. I, do, I don't have a pick, so. <laughs> cinematography is basically just like the visual, like, style of the movie. Not just like what movie looks the best, but how it complements the tone of the movie and the story. So mm -hmm. like, the Batman, no, I, I you know. I know that, it's just for me, like. I don't understand how, like, what distinguishes good cinematography from bad. So I just, I don't feel comfortable picking one. So okay, um, bad cinematography. What's a great example of bad cinematography? Uh, Black Adam. 
Birdemic, Elvis. <laughs> I don't know. They shot Elvis with the Arri Alexa 65. So that's my new favorite camera. Um, Morbius. Venom. Okay, Morbius. Spider-Man No Way Home has terrible cinematography. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is much in the I should have just agreed with one of you. And, and However, I will say, <laughs> bad cinematography. Sometimes films with great cinematography and innovative cinematography have never been nominated. <clears throat> Godfather, <clears throat> Godfather Part Two, Gordon <laughs> Willis, the legendary Gordon Willis was never nominated for those two films. Never got an Oscar, and he's one of the most influential cinematographers. Yeah, in that's baffling to me that the legendary Gordon Willis never won. Yeah, but I was showing uh, Marianne, and, and Marianne is true. She's trying to educate herself more on the cinematography. I shared her with her some video of uh, of the great Vittorio Storaro, who did all of Bertolucci's stuff, and she did watch Last Tango in Paris. We had a discussion about that. Oh, God, why would you show her that movie? Uh, well, because I mean, we were I had doing, a choice. I didn't have to watch. But you know what? The cinematography in there is great. He deliberately, yeah, it's it's good visually, but like story wise, it's so like, ugh. it's about two psychotic individuals. I don't watch the movie all the time. It's not like I'm going to say, "Hey, honey, let's watch Last Tango in Paris." Great, honey, I'll make the popcorn. No, but uh, uh, but I mean, The Last Emperor, which he won Oscar. He won the Oscar for. Coppola's Apocalypse Now. He won the Oscar for um, Warren Beatty's uh, Reds. Great collaborations uh, um, on Warren Beatty, especially even on Dick Tracy. And uh, he won the Oscar for uh, The Last Emperor uh, with Bertolucci. Uh, the way he uses color. So I shared with her some videos about his ideas of cinematography and how he uses colors, a psychological relationship with colors. And I also shared with her some projection notes from directors that they gave back in the day for like, you know, I shared with her a Lucasfilm THX tap systems instructions for Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Oliver Stone's instructions for Born on the Fourth of July on how they need to project it. She is trying to educate herself more on cinematography. So I totally understand Marianne. Will one day do a screening of these two films are bad cinematography. I'm trying to think what film has bad cinematography. I can't. Well, think. I know the room does. I've been talking. It's out of focus, but. <laughs> Wait, what'd you say, Marianne? I said the room because there's some scenes where stuff's out of focus. And... Yes. So. <laughs> yes. I should rephrase like the whole good versus bad thing too. It's just a category that I'm not very interested in. It's like for me, as long as I can see the film and it's stuff's not out of focus, like that's fine to me. I'm not that worried about it. unless it like really stands out. Like it just, I don't get like why some cinematography is better than others. Like well, if so it's stylish, I get it, but it's like, I saw the movie, I could see it. It was all clear and it was fine. fine. <laughs> Good enough for me. Like I'm not that, I don't know. Hey, <laughs> I don't know. Hey, you're hey, kind of hey. like, you're kind of like my mom, my, my, my mom too. Like as long as stuff is like clear in focus and not too like, Inco the image isn't too incoherent, like she can accept it. Okay, so Marianne is opting out of voting for cinematography. Let's move on now to original song. Okay, so Marianne, who would you pick for best original song? What song from a movie sounded the best to you? Um, I'm going with Lift Me Up from Wakanda Forever because it's the one that I can remember the most afterward. I have listened to it a couple times since the movie came out and I like it a lot. I almost picked Hold My Hand by Lady Gaga because I like her too and I liked that song. 
But I think Lift Me Up also has a benefit of being like a more powerful song because, you know, the movie itself has to deal with, you know, the passing of Chadwick Boseman's character. And yeah. the song just seems more impactful to me than Hold My Hand did. So that's that's a very fair assessment. Uh, Brian, what about you? I'm happy that uh, This is a Life of One but, uh, is nominated, but that's not my pick. David Byrne already has an Oscar for his section of The Last Emperor's score from 1988. So secretly, I want Diane Warren to win. She's been nominated so many times, but she's not my pick. But secretly, in my heart, I want her to win because she's never won. But I do want Hold My Hand, and here's why. One, I love Lady Gaga. She's the real deal. I really do feel that. But also, I felt her song and her melody from the song, because that's because she does get a score credit too, carry the emotion of the film. When that song plays at the end of the film, that made me cry. It, it, it did its job. It did what it was supposed to do. It made me applaud at the end of the movie. Um, it did its job uh, as, as what I think a song should do in a movie. That's my pick. Okay, yeah, you both have uh, good picks. You both have pretty good picks. And it's interesting that both of them are actual nominees for the Oscars. And I think that actually says a lot about just songs from movies in general of last year. And I think the Oscars, like by default, basically, it was impossible for the Oscars to screw up this category. And also, it's interesting that they snubbed Chow Papa from Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Now... Yeah. I really, I like Pinocchio, but the music, frankly, sucks. So I'm kind of happy that they didn't nominate <laughs> Chow Papa, but I'm like, it was getting nominated everywhere else, like at the Golden Globes. So I'm surprised that the Oscars didn't nominate it too. I mean, I'm happy about it because, again, that song sucks, but they didn't nominate it, which is very surprising. Oh, and also, I would have liked to see more love for uh, Fearless Hero from Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, but there was no way in hell that that song was going to get actually nominated. But I, I would have nominated it. But who I would pick for the winner is easily my most rewatched listen of any music, just not from not just from a movie in 2022, but just of music in general. Natsu Natsu from RRR. Mm, I still haven't seen that, and I'm waiting for the right version to show up. Uh, Criterion, you better release it on disc. That's why I'm waiting for the right version of that film to show up and not what you told me is on Netflix. So, Well, I appreciate you trying to watch it in its original Telugu version, but unfortunately, like, they're, like I think just the Indian distribution company in charge of RR, like I think they're just having a really hard time getting it into America in its proper version. I have no idea why, but Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, basically just the I mean in Hindi it's still a fun song as well. But if you just look up Natsu Natsu, you will be able to find it in its original just a clip of the song in its original Telugu language version on YouTube. And I have watched I am responsible for at least 50 million of those 200 million views that that video has <laughs> or something like that. It's such a catchy <laughs> song. Nice. <laughs> All right. So now let's move on to best original score. Best original score. Wait. I thought that this category also, there were some, it wasn't the best at the actual Oscars. I'm happy that they nominated everything everywhere. I'm happy that they nominated Banshees of Anna Sharon. The Fablemans, John Williams' score for Fablemans is one of the very few bad scores of his. 
So I'm very disappointed that they nominated it over something like Pinocchio. Alejandro Desplat Despla did a really good job with Pinocchio. He's worked with Guillermo del Toro before. And I previously said, in the last podcast, I said that the Batman, for Michael Giacchino's score for that movie was my favorite score of any movie in 2022. But then I listened to the score on Spotify, Justin Hurwitz's score for Babylon. Babylon is now my favorite score from a movie in 2022. I have not seen Babylon, but I have listened to the entire hour-long score. And so I feel like it's appropriate to pick it as my personal winner for best original score. Brian, what about you? Ooh, okay. Yeah, I uh, I haven't seen Babylon yet. Now, no longer in the theaters. And that was one of my movies that I really wanted to see. And then once I heard all this buzz about it, like, oh, it's not that good. I started to go along with that buzz. Although it's a film that would be totally up my alley. And I like it, Damien It's Chazelle. good, Brian. I, yeah. I think you like it, Brian. Yeah. I like Damien Chazelle, too. First Man is a brilliant film. But you're right about the scores. I mean... I love everything, everywhere, all at once, but it's not like I can hum the theme song, you know? What was the mm -hmm. theme? What, what was the main theme for the movie? John Williams, I would say give John Williams every award, but his last <laughs> few scores, again, even when John Williams does something abstract, because John Williams does have an avant-garde side to him. Check out his score to Oliver Stone's Born on the Fourth of July and the Vietnam sequences in there, or I mean, Close Encounters, they still have themes, main themes that you could hum. I mean, Born on the Fourth of July, I can't tell you the main theme to the Fablemans, mm -hmm. but I can tell you the main theme for the Batman. So... Michael Giancano would be my pick to win, and he was robbed. He was robbed. I agree with you that he was robbed of a nomination. But exactly. Marianne, who would you pick for best original score? Um, I am with you, actually, Colton. I picked Babylon because that's the most memorable score to me from the last year. Um, that was one, Brian, that they did actually use that score in the trailer over and over again. And so like, maybe that's yes. why it was so memorable. But like, I can... I could do it right now. I know how that song goes. That main song they use in the trailer goes. Here, and uh, uh, give us a bit of it, Marion. I mean, suck oh, it. What, is karaoke night? Mm, mm, yeah, come on. Mm. <laughs> I think it goes I didn't like... I up for karaoke, Brian. <laughs> I, I think Babylon goes like... Or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, at the end's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I have in my head... You know what I have in my head when every, anyone says Babylon? Uh, David Gray. If you want it, so come and get it. But crying out loud, Babylon. Does anybody yes, remember that? Yes, I know that. I know that. So the, every time you guys say it, that's what immediately is going through my head. I haven't seen the movie yet, but I'm sure it's great music. I'm sure it's a great score. I trust you guys. There's another category, uh, documentary feature film. I did pick a winner, but I also haven't seen that many documentaries. Do you guys, I should have talked about this before you recorded. Do you guys want to cover documentary or just skip this one? I'm fine I want you. to cover it because I got a lot to say about the category in general. Oh, no. <laughs> I think they made an omission again this year in their history of omissions. 
Okay, let's start with you, Brian. Okay. Now, sometimes the documentary committee, I mean, it used to be the members of the documentary division, you could have been anybody. You could have been an old janitor at the studio, and you could be a, a member of the academy to vote in the, the documentary category. Well, I'm pretty sure that's not yeah. true, but I know exactly. Well, that, no, uh, that was true. That was true. Uh, that has since changed. Wait, wait. They they actually allowed janitors to vote? Well, you, you could be anybody in the academy and vote in the documentary. But not uh, literally like a janitor. Well, I'm being a bit facetious there, but Roger yeah, yeah, Ebert, yeah. I'm, but Roger Ebert has several articles on this. You could be, you know, somebody who's just a member of the academy and has and, and doesn't vote in the other categories, but you got your academy card and you could vote for documentary. And you weren't required to watch any of the documentaries that were released that year. In most cases, they would give you a list of the documentaries that came out that year, and there would be a little summary of what it was, and they would do the nominees based off of that. But sometimes the Academy would get it right. One of my top 10 favorite movies of all time, um, Woodstock. Won the docu won for best documentary. The Vietnam documentary Hearts and Minds won the uh, the Oscar in uh, for the nineteen seventy four or seventy five Oscars. Very controversial win because the producer Bert Schneider got up there and said something political to the point where Bob Hope, Frank Sinatra was going to have Bob Hope go out there and apologize to everybody. And Shirley MacLaine actually grabbed a hold of Bob Hope and said. You don't fucking say a word. Big backstage drama happened when Bert Schneider gave his letter of thanks from the, the prisoners of Hanoi. But the nominees, Hoop Dreams, that was the, the final straw when Hoop Dreams was not even nominated. One of the most influential, not only documentaries, but films, the documentary Hoop Dreams was not nominated. Now we got actual documentarians who vote in that category. Moon Age Daydream, the David Bowie one trippy poetic whatever they did with it that is my pick for best documentary film i didn't see all that breeds all the beauty and blood i didn't see those but i mm -hmm. saw Age daydream and it was a beautiful portrait of bowie not nominated so well that's partially because that documentaries get uh, documentaries kind of get screwed over when it comes to like distribution uh rights yeah. like yeah basically so like documentaries really don't do as well in theaters as regular movies do. And I think that that's a shame. Yeah. And if it's a popular documentary, with the exception of a few, I mean, like Woodstock in 1970, Michael Moore won for Bowling for Columbine. So sometimes, but, but if it's a popular documentary, and sometimes if it's a music documentary, which is why I'm still scratching my head that Woodstock won so early ago, but they don't get nominated or they're not taking serious... I haven't seen Moon Age Daydream, and again, it's because it wasn't playing in any theaters near me. I literally couldn't go see it. I have no idea what theater it was even playing at. Like that, and, that, well, and I was disappointed by that because I like David Bowie, but I wasn't yeah. able to see it. I, I, you know what's you know what's ironic is that a theater that's like ten minutes less than ten minute drive away from my house, I saw like Nope or something there. And there was a preview for Moon Age Daydream, and it was like, oh, playing soon in IMAX. And I was like, oh, cool. But then at that theater, they never played Moon Age Daydream. And I was like, come mm -hmm. on, why'd you show the trailer for it? That's before the movie. Because they were required to show that trailer at the beginning of Nope. 
<laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't. Yeah, that was just dumb. But uh, so, yeah, Moon Age Daydream, I believe you, Brian, when you say it's really good. It's coming I, out on Criterion in 4K, I think in April. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I'll have to be on the lookout for that. But my pick for a documentary, I actually did. I attended the uh, Sundance Film Festival uh, a few weeks ago, as well as last year. And last year, I had the opportunity to watch All That Breeze, but I decided to pass on it because I thought I'd be able to see it on a later date. Still haven't seen it, and I wish I just bought a ticket for it back at Sundance 2022. Ah, well, but uh, all, all the beauty and the bloodshed, I heard good things about that one. But the documentary that I saw that really moved me was Free Chol Su Lee, done by directors Julie Ha and Eugene Yi. And mm. so Free... Sorry? I just said, huh. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, if you guys don't know what Free Chol Su Lee is, it's a documentary about uh, Korean-American immigrants, Chol Su Lee, who's accused of murder. And Ooh. there's this big, like, trial. And basically, like, there's... Basically, this white guy thought that Chol Su Lee, who's Korean, committed this murder that was actually done by a, Ch a Chinese man. And, but, you know, because America you know, the, the justice system, and there were many in the justice system that are racist, they mm -hmm. automatically assumed, oh yeah, this Chol Su Lee guy, obviously he did it. And, you know, he's prosecuted, you know, he's accused, he's judged and all that. And people from the, not just Korean, but Asian community in general, fight for his freedom. And the documentary is basically about that. Hmm. Is it on, on, is it on Netflix? It's on Mubi. On uh, Mubi? Okay. Cool. I, gotta check that. I gotta check that out. I just got movie. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. If you have movie, also watch Decision to Leave. It's on there. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Marianne, uh, what do can you pick documentary? Have you seen any documentaries? Um, I think I, I saw a few. Um, my pick for this category is The Janes. It's actually I realized when I was looking at my the movies I reviewed in 2022. It's actually like one of the few, if not the only one, that I gave nine out of ten to which I was surprised. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's about um, the whole underground abortion network in Chicago in the 60s before Roe v. Wade came in, um, into law. And I guess because of what happened this year with the Supreme Court, it just felt very timely. And because I'm a woman of childbearing age, <laughs> it was very direct to me and it felt very personal. And I just really connected with it for those reasons. I didn't watch it with anybody else. So I don't know like if maybe you guys would not that you guys wouldn't be interested in it, but I don't know. If I am in, I am into, well, you know how political I get Marianne. So. Yeah. Yeah. I know you guys and you know, and, and you know what side of, uh, what side of the fence I'm on. So yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't mean it like that. I just meant like, you know, a movie like that is probably going to be more personal to like a woman than it would be a man. Just that, maybe that's just me assuming, but <laughs> that's all I meant. You just brought up the topic and like, the wheels are turning in my head right now, and I don't want to go on a political rant here because this is a movie podcast. So, um. <laughs> I have talked about politics with friends on the podcast before, though, even though it yeah. is a movie themed podcast. But I think I saw the Janes on like HBO Max, and I added it to my watch list. So I'll have to check it out. I'm gonna have to check that one out and watch that with my wife. 
Yeah, and oddly uh, enough, there was also the fictional depiction of that whole thing too, called Call Jane, which came out in like October, which I also saw, but it wasn't yeah. as good as the documentary. So yeah, yeah, the do- I I had a feeling that the documentary was going to be better. I also heard about Call Jane, and I was like, I I'll I'll just wait for the documentary. Yeah. <laughs> Some things are better as a documentary as opposed to a narrative film. Yeah. Amen to that. All right. So moving on now to best international feature film. Marianne, why don't you go first? Okay. Uh, this one was tough. I didn't uh, like documentary. I've seen a few this year, but I didn't see a lot. So I don't think this is necessarily going to be like my end all be all answer in the future. But I'm going to go with uh, a Filipino film called Leonore Will Never Die. I oh it, yeah, I uh, I heard about that. I want to see it. How was it? It was very interesting. It was different. It's nominated for an Independent Spirit Award for International Film, which is really the only reason I heard of it was because I'm a voting member of the Film Independent, and so I watched it, and it was just really interesting. You know, it's about this Filipino director. She's in like her fifties or sixties, and she has this kind of. I think she has like. A head injury and so she starts like imagining herself in movies that she's done or like a movie she's working on and it was just a really interesting idea and unique take and I just really liked it so that was my pick because I didn't see a ton of other international films and that was the one I liked the most. That sounds really interesting yeah I did actually hear about it from again from Sundance 2022. Mm-hmm. There were quite a few movies that I should have seen at Sundance huh but anyway. Well, there's so many I mean <laughs> how do you pick? <laughs> Exactly, exactly, yes. Uh, Brian, what's your favorite international feature film? I'm going to go with All Quiet on the Western uh, um, Front. Now, okay, uh, we had this conversation the last time, and I feel I'm I'm part of this when uh, it's kind of hard to know about what is out there nowadays in international film. Not a lot of international cinema gets advertised anymore, you know? Yeah, here it um, goes. <laughs> I'm sorry? I said, here he goes. He's going to well, go on a print rant again. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to go too much uh, on a rant. But I mean, back in the That's day, you were aware, especially in the 80s and the 90s, you were aware of people like uh, uh, Pedro Almodovar. Uh, you were, I mean, you go back to the 50s and 60s, audiences were aware of Federico Fellini, Akira Kurosawa, uh, Yosujiro Ozu, um, Ingmar Bergman all of these greats in international cinema. Now, you know, your local AMC is not even showing any of these things. Uh, show them for a week and that's it. Yeah, and you have to find out what streaming site they're on. But All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, I saw, the, I, I mean, I have the original uh, version of that that came out in the you know, 30s. 31. And that, was, and that was powerful for its time. This just takes it, uh, especially now being made by a German filmmaker in German, this takes it to a whole other level with the, it's really a powerful anti-war statement. I think that it's a film that a lot of people should see. It's it's very graphic. It's probably more graphic than uh, Saving Private Ryan or even 1917. Wow. Um, but... It's it's a powerful anti-war statement, and I think that should win. I haven't seen the others, but it's it's a great that Poland's nominated because there's a lot of great Polish uh, cinema that uh, that we have forgotten. Right. So uh, I really think that people that that, that w- 
we need to be paying more attention to international you know, cinema or yeah. what used to be called foreign cinema, which I, <laughs> I'm glad they changed the title for that. You know? Yeah, same. Uh, I'm glad that they changed the title as well. I think I mentioned on the last podcast that I've been hesitant to watch All Quiet solely yeah. because of the really disturbing contents. And I'm just, oh. I don't know if I'm ready to like see that yet. Like I'm sure it's a good movie. Or even a great one. But like I just don't know if I'm ready to go through all that heartbreak again. I will check out All Quiet at some points. I just yeah. don't know exactly. I'm just not planning on doing it like immediately. Right. But let's move on onto a category that has way more wholesome. Wait, did you and... give your pick? Oh, I didn't. Yes, you're right. I didn't <laughs> say my international pick. Oh, Brian, you distracted me. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. So my pick for best international feature film is a movie that I thought for sure was going to get nominated, but then it didn't. And I'm so shocked and upset. This is easily the snub that hurt me the most because just like this movie, I'm also Korean. Decision to leave. Decision to leave by Park Chan-wook got snubbed. And it it was my favorite foreign film. I mean, well, actually, if you count... The worst person in the world. A lot of people are kind of iffy as to whether that movie's 2021 or 2022 movie because it got nominated at the 2021 Oscars, but it came out in the U.S. in 2022. Excluding that movie, the the movie that definitely came out in 2022, Decision to Leave, is my favorite foreign film. And the fact that it didn't even get nominated is just like, come on. All right, yeah. well, now I want to move on onto a more, the more, more wholesome category, animated feature film. And I'm going to go first. My favorite animated film, Puss in Boots, The Last Swish. Hell yeah. <laughs> and Marianne, uh, what's your pick? I agree. Puss in Hell Boots yeah. <laughs> and Brian? I haven't seen it yet, but everybody's told me it's good, so I will see it. Um, I have love for Marcel the Shell with shoes yes. on. I paid a huge chunk of money to order directly the 4K disc from A24 because you won't get that one in the store on 4K. You got to go to the, their site to get it. Uh, usually I call this category what Disney film is going to win award because I think it's crap that every time a Disney film is nominated, it wins. And I was hoping this would be the film that Disney or Disney Pixar, does not win anything. And then I forgot, Turning Red came out. Even though it was supposed to be in the theaters, and the 11th hour said, no, we're going to throw it on Disney+. Plus." Uh, thank you very much for that. Who just got ousted, Marianne? Chapek? No, Bob Chapek is... No, Bob Iger. Yeah, thank you very much for that, Bob Chapek. Uh, just dumping shit on Disney+, Plus that should be in the theaters. I like <laughs> Turning Red, but I don't think it deserves to win. I wouldn't well, be it's a... not going to win. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is going to win. That's the one I want to win. I like Guillermo del Toro. I love his uh, vision for his film. He has a unique take on fantasy. I kind of hope that wins. I won't be upset if Puss in Boots uh, wins. I uh, don't think it will. It's but not going to win. Pinocchio has... There's no way that Pinocchio does not win. You know what's funny is that I saw the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio movie in theaters. And oh, when I... Lucky. And when I went to go buy my ticket, 
the you know how on like Fandango and other sites they have the poster, you know, yeah. like yeah. Uh, you could uh, choose next to the movie. They had the Robert Zemeckis Pinocchio poster on the website, even though oh, they're no. showing the Guillermo del Toro version. So <laughs> after I bought my ticket, I got so like freaked out and concerned. I was like, wait, no, did, did I just buy a ticket? For the Robertson Navicus garbage, and are they actually showing that in theaters? <laughs> so I called the theater and I was like, "Hey, uh, I just bought a ticket for Pinocchio. I just want to confirm this is a Guillermo del Toro one, right?" And they were like, "Yes." And I'm like, "Oh, thank God." <laughs> and again, I don't know whose fault that was with Bob Zemeckis. Was it his fault or Disney's fault or both? I don't know, oh. but you, you kind of think Disney would learn their lesson on the soulless remakes they're doing and i don't know but the soulless remakes keep making money they do and it's unfortunate my older son just showed me a photo of snow white and the seven dwarfs and i'm like why are you making it exactly like the animated film i could grab my blu-ray copy of it if i want to yeah (laughs) yeah give me something new i like their version of cinderella they took it to a different direction they did have the cute mice and everything, but they took the themes and stuff to a different direction, okay? I would applaud you if you did that. Not if you're just going to do a Xerox copy of what they did as far as live action. Come on, guys. I don't yeah. mind. Marianne, I know you had your thing on Facebook about this, but I don't <laughs> mind a remake as long as you explore <laughs> different aspects of that story. Okay, Brian, I think we're getting a little off topic here. We are, you're, we are. You're, you're getting a little bit broken. too upset about this. Keep this in, though. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely keeping it in because I agree, I agree with you that these remakes are all soulless trash, you know, marketing. It's it's all like it's all literally just like nostalgia baby. And it, it they basically have I mean, even the remakes I like, they don't really have a reason to exist other than just bringing in all these adults that you know grew up with these movies and now are bringing their kids to go see it like the live action quote-unquote live action lion king is literally one of my least favorite movies of all time and marianne i'm sorry i know you like this movie but mulan 2020 is garbage just absolutely awful i can't wait until they remake pocahontas yeah (laughs) which right which white model is gonna be pocahontas oh no <laughs> no 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 well no no disney is definitely gonna cast uh race appropriate if they, they will pocahontas. but they, they will they will they, will. they, but they but know the they would lose money if they would lose i don't think they're gonna do that one I don't but the original animated film they modeled her on chrissy turlington this was during the 90s supermodel wave and uh it was christy turlington with a tan that's what it was well, on that <laughs> note, on that depressing note, let's move on, on to best adapted screenplay because I don't want to think about these awful remakes anymore. <laughs> so Pinocchio, even though Pinocchio wasn't my favorite animated film, I do think that it should have been nominated for adapted screenplay. I thought this, I thought Guillermo and uh, his co-writer Patrick Mihail did a great job of adapting the Pinocchio story into this movie and i wish that it was nominated for adaptive screenplay although i can understand why it wasn't but personally i would have liked it to be nominated but definitely over top gun 
Like, I love Top Gun Maverick, but the screenplay is not that special in that movie. Like, what makes Top Gun Maverick special is, like, the amazing filmmaking and the interesting story and these character dynamics, but the screen, yeah. actual screenplay is not Oscar-worthy, and yet I, it got nominated. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. All right, Brian, who would you pick for adapted screenplay? Oh, I'm going first? Yes. I haven't seen Woman Talking, but based on everything that everybody's telling me about it, and I want to see it so bad, I'm going to give it to Sarah Pauly. Uh, and that's kind of who I want to win anyways. I think Sarah Pauly... Are you sure you don't want to give it to a movie that you've actually seen? The only one in this group that I've seen is Top Gun Maverick, and I don't think it deserves it. Well, yeah, but you can pick anything. We're not picking from the actual winners. We're just picking what we personally would would have picked. I would pick. I'm sorry, what? Didn't you see All Quiet? What's a movie that I've seen this year that's been adapted from something that hasn't been nominated? Batman. What would the Batman count? I would think so. Yeah, the Batman for adapted screenplay. Uh, I would give that. I would. I would nominate and win for um, Matt Reeves and Peter Craig. The Batman would be my would be my winner in that. All right, that's a good that's a good pick. I like Matt Reeves. Uh, I think that he's actually he's a he's always been praised for his directing, but I think he's an underrated writer as well. Yeah. Uh, but Marianne, what about you? Um, I'm going with Black Panther Wakanda Forever because... Wow, really? Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> because I think it kind of like you were saying, Brian, with the whole like comic book thing, it's like, yeah, it is a comic book thing, but there's they had to expand on the whole Chadwick Boseman's character is gone. Like, Black Panther is gone. T'Challa's dead. Like... I really like Wakanda Forever. I really they had liked. to take yeah. It, so they had to take it to a whole new place, and they had to deal with Shuri and her family and her taking on the mantle of Black Panther. Did she want to do it? Did she just she's is she prepared for it? And then all the external factors affecting her. And I think because of how it expanded the world and not just like the comic book world, but like the characters' world, I think it was very well done. I really liked it. I really liked it. You had two very big dips in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and a, a all the way to lowest common denominator with Thor, Love and Thunder. And that... And Don't you mean more I... uh, Love and Craptor? <laughs> love, exactly. And now, finally elevating it, back to a level of prestige, I think, with Wakanda Forever. I'm still shocked that the critic at RogerEbert.com gave it one and a half stars. I mean, I thought that was cold. I don't know why, but... That's, Wait, that's pretty... he gave Thor Love and Thunder one and a half stars? But no, that's... Wakanda Forever one and a half oh, stars. Oh, oh. I mean, Wakanda Forever is a flawed movie. It's not It's not great, but... Well, you can make a... the argument that every film is flawed. <laughs> there is <laughs> yeah, not that, that's true. Yes, that's I true. Mean, that's true. I mean, how many perfect movies are there? I think The Godfather is a perfect movie. I mean, even The Godfather has one flaw, in my opinion. What the is only it? flaw of The Godfather is that some shots are out of focus. But literally, that's it. Uh, <laughs> that that was a deliberate choice by Gordon Willis in those shots. No, no, no. I like during the wedding scene. There are some shots that are out of focus, and I don't think it was deliberate. It's supposed to be like the, the wedding scenes are supposed to be almost documentary in quality. Okay, well, agree to disagree, I suppose. But mm -hmm. 
my personal my personal pick for adapted screenplay is Women Talking. I think Sarah Polly did such a great job with that score. And I know you guys are going to hate me for saying this, but I'm so happy. Despite being nominated everywhere else, The Whale was snubbed, and I'm so happy about that. Why? How could I hate you? Because that script was terrible. In what way? The Whale, like, literally every <laughs> single line of dialogue was stilted and awkward and the actors did their best to make it sound natural but the dialogue at its and the story at its core was just so like i did not like it i did not like the whale script screenplay at all and but it's been being nominated everywhere except at the oscars and i'm so happy about that <laughs> i'll have to disagree with you on that but you know i don't have a strong opinion either way so yeah i just i just i just could not like the, the screenplay for the whale i was just like how is this awful screenplay adapted from the acclaimed play that the same writer wrote like i don't i don't get that at all like if these if the screenplay was that bad for the movie then i'll probably never will want to watch the play like damn <laughs> but i'm happy that you acknowledged the batman and even black panther wakanda forever and i look forward to seeing sarah polly win the os actual oscar for adapted screenplay because there's right. no way that, like, All Quiet or Glass Onion, and definitely not Top Gun, they're not going to win over Sarah Polly. There's just no way. Well, let's move on now to uh, original screenplay. And I actually kind of like this category at the actual Oscars. I think that they nominate some pretty good scripts. It would have been nice to see Decision to Leave and After Sun get nominated for original screenplay, but the actual... Oscars, they, they're they all good. I like all five of those screen, scripts. And my personal pick for original screenplay would be Everything Everywhere All at Once. But I do love Barb McDonough's work on Banshees, Todd Field's work on Tar, Ruben Oslan's script for Triangle of Sadness. With Triangle of Sadness, I think the directing is better than the screenplay, but the screenplay's not bad. And of course, you know, you have the Fablemans, but Everything Everywhere All at Once, all the way. What about you, Marianne? I agree with you, Colton. Everything Everywhere All at Once is, I mean, it's the title of the category, original. And I know what original screenplay means. It means it's not based on a previous work. But not only that, it's a very original story while also having themes that are very relatable. And, you know, it's not new to have a movie about a mother-daughter relationship or a husband-wife relationship, but the way they did it was what was made it original. I agree with you. And Brian, what about you? Let me just say, you're going to have a lot to edit here, Colton, man. Sorry. I think we're going on three hours now. Well, don't, no, we're going on two hours. Yeah, I agree. Everything, everywhere, all at once. And I agree with you, Marianne, too, about original. When I was younger and I was watching the Oscars, I thought original screenplay meant originality, which is why I nearly threw my television as a a uh, 17-year-old almost out the window when Dead Poets Society beat Spike Lee and Do the Right Thing. <laughs> and uh, at the 1989 Oscars, which aired in 1990, uh, I was like, original! What's original about Dead Poets Society? <laughs> I mean, a great director with Peter Weir, but uh, still, I, there were, come on, it's basically Lean on Me! Um, <laughs> I think, I think Dead Poets Society is a much better version of lean on me though right I, exactly but still it's like you are i mean to serve with love this we've had this type <laughs> of story before 
Well, I'm glad, Brian, that you were able to realize, though, that original meant, play doesn't uh, actually It meant original, original based on, right, based on, uh, somebody sat down and wrote this and didn't base it on anything else. So right. I get what they mean now. Everything, everywhere, all at once. It would be kind of nice to see Spielberg finally get an award for writing because he's one of those uh, directors that actually does rewrite the screenplays and takes no credit. Yeah, it's got to be everything, everywhere, all at once for me. All right. Congratulations, uh, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheiner. You guys won your imaginary Oscars from the three of us again. <laughs> All right. So now, last but not least, we're just going to quickly go over three categories that I frankly think that the Oscars should actually nominate, but they don't. And I think that that's very disappointing. Well, at least two of these categories I think the actual Oscars should include. And uh, one of them is Best Stunt Ensemble, Best Stunt Work. And stunt people in Hollywood are some of the most hardworking, dedicated people, and they don't ever get an Oscar. They do have a category at the Screen Actors Guild Awards, but not at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a major error that needs to be corrected soon. I agree. And uh, every time it's brought up, the Academy fights it. I, it's like there's some sort of discrimination against uh, stunt people whenever that they bring it up, you know, whenever it's and brought up. They're like, no, it's a flat. That capital. is absolutely disgusting. And, oh, it is disgusting. It is disgusting because, I mean, stunt people, they do deserve awards. Stunt coordinators should be stunt coordinator and stunt team. You know, I totally agree with that. I, I also... I also just realized that the Screen Actors Guild Awards also acknowledge Best Acting uh, Cast Ensemble. I should have brought that up before we recorded because I would have loved to cover that category as well. But since I didn't, we'll just skip over that one. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to go first. This was hard because, like, I mean, you know, like the Marvel movies, everything, everywhere, all at once. uh, The stunt choreography by the Lee brothers who... Uh, run the YouTube channel Marshall Club. They did absolutely great work. Mm-hmm. I did not like Bullet Train, but I thought the stunts in that movie were really cool. I also really liked Prey. So this was a really hard category to pick. But if I had to pick what movie I thought had the best stunt work, I'm gonna have to go with Avatar: The Way of Water. I thought mm. that this, I thought I watched like some behind the scenes videos of Av- the making the Avatar sequel, and I'm like. Wow, they were really dedicated. So I'm going to have to give it to Avatar. I'm glad because you are acknowledging the fact that it's not just all CGI stuff that they do in uh, Avatar. Um, So I'm glad you picked that because a lot of people do. It's just like, it's all CGI. What do you mean? No. no. Uh, To quote what James Cameron said on the first Avatar, it's not to take away the actors. It's to make sure the actor doesn't spend five hours in the makeup chair. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Brian, who would you pick for best stunt work in a movie, 2022 Um, movie? I agree with you uh, with uh, Avatar, but I also want to say I like the stunt work in uh, The Woman King, especially the battle scenes and what they did. That's not all CGI stuff there. That's actual people doing the work, and they had to train, too. They, They all had to... The actors, everybody, they all had to train. So... I, I think uh, the Woman King should get some love. All right, that's that. That sounds like it would be a good pick. And again, I'll still have to see the movie. Marianne, what about you? 
I was kind of between three. I didn't end up making like a tie or anything, but I was thinking about everything everywhere all at once just because of how creative the fight scene with the fanny pack was. And the butt plug. And the yeah, dildos. Exactly. Just like the originality of the stunts was something I thought about. Um, oh. I also considered Violent Night just because of the creative kills, shall we say. I gotta see that. I gotta see that, man. <laughs> Which I know Colton did not like the movie, but I thought it had original... Oh kills that means and, he won't like yeah. cocaine bear <laughs> what was that that means colton won't like cocaine bear <laughs> oh no <laughs> what and what then, is that is that an actual movie coming out you don't know about cocaine bear directed by elizabeth banks seriously wait what yes yeah it's okay wait, wait, wait you story it's coming out tell me more about it after the podcast but no i don't know i've never heard yeah. of cocaine bear. it's coming out this month colton i can't wait to see it <laughs> i've literally never heard of it Oh my God! And it's so a star-studded film too. <laughs> and Elizabeth Banks directed, directed it. Yeah, it? she's yep. gonna redeem herself for Charlie's Angels. Yep. Oh, I hope so. But anyway, Mary, uh, Marianne, go on about your pick. Yeah, and then the last one was um, Bullet Train. So I was trying to decide like which one was the most memorable um, stunt work, and I think I'm gonna give it to Bullet Train. Honestly, I I, I like that movie. I like Bullet Train. You know. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't think the movie was like amazing. I didn't love it, but I remember the stunts in that movie very it well. Is, it is what it is. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. And it, it gave me everything I wanted for a film like that. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I, I went with Bullet Train for that reason, because even if the story is kind of dumb or you don't like the movie, the stunts are still very memorable. Whereas like something... Where like for everything everywhere all at once, that scene the scenes I mentioned were memorable, but it wasn't the only memorable part of the movie. Like there was also a lot of other stuff going on. So that's why I gave the edge to Bullet Train in this category. Okay. All right. Yeah. I didn't I didn't really like Bullet Train, but again, I thought the stunt work in Bullet Train, I mean, it's directed by David Leadich, who worked on John Wick, Deadpool 2, Atomic Blonde. Yeah. So he he and his crew, they know what they're doing with the yeah. fight sequences. <laughs> But now I want to move on onto another category that I think that the actual Oscars will should acknowledge, but they never will: best voice slash motion captured performance. Yeah, basically what Andy Serkis has been doing for all of his career. Right. <laughs> yeah. So Marianne, why don't you go first? Sure. Uh, my pick in this category is Harvey Guillen as Pedrito in Puss in Boots. The last nice, week. nice. Because you know he's a newcomer to that movie that series so you know antonio banderas did great salma hayek did great but he was harvey Guillen was new to the series and i remember the, the character i remember the voice so he has the edge for me on that one okay all right that's a pretty good pick my pick is actually also from puss and boots uh wagner mora who voices the big bad wolf i thought that he did a great job in puss and boots and on just like avatar i also watched behind the scenes like making of Puss in Boots, and I watched like the actors like Antonio Banderas, who is great as Puss, and like Florence Pugh, Harvey Guillen, John Mulaney, and Wagner Mora all like in the recording studio. And Wagner Mora looked like he was having like the absolute blast, the most fun time of his life making this movie, voicing the Big Bad Wolf. Oh yeah, Harvey <laughs> Guillen did a great job too, though. But Brian, what about you? I don't care what you say, Colton. I don't care. Sigourney Weaver in Avatar, The Way of the Water. Okay. <laughs> you had to know he was going to pick that, Colton. <laughs> okay. She was, she was believable to me. 
She was believable to me. So there, nah. Okay, fine. Ryan, <laughs> Ryan's pick is Sigourney Weaver <laughs> in Avatar: The Way of Water. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm glad though at least Maria and I picked good actual good people. <laughs> and congratulations. See, I, I didn't see Puss in Boots. I don't know anything about Puss in Boots, but I know about Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> well, still, congratulations to Sigourney Weaver, Harvey Guillen, and Wagner Mora for your imaginary Oscars. That could make up for Sigourney Weaver not winning for Aliens. Yeah. But I, I also was... want to uh, give a shout-out to other great voice-slash-motion capture performances like Terry Notary as a monkey in Nope. And Jenny yeah. Slate as Marcel in Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Yeah. David Bradley as Geppetto in the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio movie. I want to give a big shout out to Sandra Oh as the mother from Turning Red. And Ben, oh gosh, what's his name? Ben Schwartz as Sonic from Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Great job. Yeah, Ben Schwartz. And a dishonorable mention to Chris Evans as... Buzz Lightyear from Lightyear. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> he was very poorly cast. <laughs> I I actually enjoyed it, but I didn't. You know, I uh, but at the same time, I watched it on on I I bought the 4K disc, and my son wanted to watch it with me, so we watched Lightyear. I decided to go the Disney Plus route and the so-called IMAX enhance, and I enjoyed it. But a good test to a good film is if I want to watch it again. And I haven't cared to watch it again. Yeah, me neither. I haven't. I watched it once in theaters. I thought it was okay, but I've never cared to watch it again. Right. All right. Um, last but not least, the final category: best scene or just moment, movie moments in any movie of 2022. This category to me was the most fun category to decide, and also one of the harder ones because. There were some individual moments that were really just moving or effective in many movies in 2022. I mean, in Top Gun Maverick, you have the scene where he flies the test plane in under two minutes and 15 seconds. Absolutely thrilling. You have the climax in Banshees of Inishirin. You have the ending of Decision to Leave. You have that really touching scene in Puss in Boots where... He's having a panic attack, and Perito uh, helps calm him down. Mm -hmm. You have the highway chase and the Batman. You have the ending of the Fablemans. You have the climax of Glass Onion. You, the last 45 minutes of Avatar The Way of Water. There were some great moments from 2022 cinema that made the whole... that These individual scenes helped improve the entire movie for me. Yeah. But the one scene that affected me the most is the In Another Life sequence with Waymans from Everything Everywhere All at Once. Nice. Yes. But I, oh, and also, I want to give a quick shout-out to the mind camera scene from After Sun. I'm not going to tell you guys what that scene is about. You just got to watch the movie, and then once you see the mind camera scene, you're going to ball your eyes out. Oh, no. All mm, right, Brian, oh. what's your favorite scene from a 2022 movie? I agree with you. There's so many individual scenes that were great uh, last year. Highway Chase and the Batman, so many great ones, uh, several individual great scenes and no, and uh, not nope. I mean, uh, although nope has some great scenes, but uh, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. But the one I'm going to go with 
and it's a quiet moment in a very loud movie, Top Gun Maverick, where Maverick goes uh, to visit Iceman. You find out in the movie, to me, that this is the heart of the movie for me, and this is why the movie worked for me. The, the flying scenes, spectacle, all of that is great. All of that is great, but this is why the movie works for me. You find out that all these years, he and, and Ice, who was sort of his nemesis in the first Top Gun, developed a close, very close friendship. And when he walks in the room, Ice, Val Kilmer, who was suffering from cancer, they have that scene together. Oh my God, I'm I'm starting to tear up now. Uh, that was a very beautiful moment. That is the heart of the movie for me. Right there. If that scene wasn't in the movie, it would have just been Top Gun 2. But if you added all those elements, the, even though Ice is only on the screen physically, during that scene, right, in the, right in, the, in the middle of the film, that scene is the heart of Top Gun Maverick and why the movie works so well. And why, you know, the overall story of the film might be preposterous, like our friend Dan says, but those personal moments in the film, those personal moments, especially with him and Ice, is what make that film uh, work for me and what and to me the greatness of that film and it's all wrapped up in that scene with him and ice that's a good pick and honestly the only reason why i even suggested doing this podcast episode today and i introduced this category is because i was i am so curious what marianne what your favorite scene from a 2022 movie is going to be literally that's the I mean, obviously, there were other reasons, like, I wanted to do another podcast with you guys, but I'm so curious, Marianne, what is your favorite scene from a 2022 film? Oh, no pressure now. Um, well, I think it's obvious that the best scene from 2022 is when um, Jared Leto turns to the camera and says it's Morbin time. <laughs> Did, you know, I saw the movie, and I don't remember that. Did he actually He didn't. It that? was a joke. He never said it, and that was part of the joke. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, no, no, my real answer. That movie was, and even Sony felt for the meme that people were watching it again, and they decided to reissue it. Oh, oh yeah, that was hilarious. Oh my god, <laughs> that was the most unintentionally funny movie movement movie moment of twenty twenty two. No, um, <laughs> no, um, my real answer. I was actually torn, Colton, between your answer and a different scene from Everything Everywhere All at Once, but I went with this other one just because i think it was it was more personal to me i responded to it more personally and it was the rock scene from everything everywhere all at once oh that was a great moment yeah that is a great so moment. it's it's just zany and weird but also extremely heartfelt and it just sums up the whole movie perfectly in my opinion yeah that's a really good pick that 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 scene that scene is probably the best that filmed like from a filmmaking standpoint that scene is probably yeah. the best uh moment in everything everywhere all at once but the one mm -hmm. that moved me the most emotionally was when waymond is begging mm -hmm. uh evelyn to be kind especially when you don't know what's going on and yeah the fact that i remember the exact line of dialogue is just oh oh cinema cinema <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> um, my favorite part in there in Everything Everywhere is when he tells her, for what it's worth, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it here, but uh, for what it's worth, I would have uh, 
uh, worked in a laundromat with you or something like that. I said. would have just liked doing laundry and taxes with you. Yes. I, yes. I remember watching this movie with my friends and I, I had already seen it in the theaters before, but I like forced them to go see it with me then for the first time, me for the second time. And after we all left the theater, I told them that uh, my favorite line of dialogue from any movie in 2022, I knew for a fact, even though it's the middle of 2022, was going to be that laundry and taxes line. And they looked mm -hmm. at me as if I was like on drugs or something. They were like, that line in the dialogue wasn't that great. And I was like, no, it it's absolutely the way the was. Character is the way he says it. They wanted Tarantino dialogue or something, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tarantino's great with dialogue, but still, you know, that's a great line of dialogue. What I liked about Everything Everywhere All at Once as a whole, still, and and I brought this up in uh, what Marianne and I did uh, um, with Dan, is that, uh, you know, we haven't had too many what I call out-of-body experiences in the movies in the last couple of years. I've had a few. I've had a few. I had it with Avengers Endgame, but Avengers Endgame is now tied in with some personal stuff for me now, too. But I had it when I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I felt like I was in a time machine, the Los Angeles uh, Sunset Strip in the late 60s. You know, I was even excited. I was pointing out to my brother, oh, my God. Pandora's box. I've always wanted to see what Pandora's box looked like on Sunset Strip. You know, I felt like I was in a time machine. Everything, everywhere, all at once was one of those movies where I was not aware of being in an auditorium. I was not aware of being in an AMC theater watching this movie. I was not aware of the border between screen and myself, I was in that movie. I was having an out-of-body experience, and I couldn't wait to go there again. And that's why I love that movie so much. I'm sorry if other people, like my wife, didn't get it, but I had that experience. I definitely had an out-of-body <laughs> experience, too, watching Everything Everywhere all at once. It was an absolutely great time just watching that movie and being able to just be so moved by it and experience all the craziness of it. And I hope that you and Brian, uh, you, Marianne, and you, Brian, excuse me, that both of you had a good time being on the podcast. Of course. Yes, I did. Um, yeah. and, for the, and for the record, Colton's going to have to do a lot of editing here, folks. So, you know. In fact, he's going to edit you saying that he needs to edit. No, keep that in. <laughs> We have flaws and all, Colton. This is real life. Yeah, editing is going to take a while, but I still appreciate you guys uh, being on the podcast, and I appreciate all of you listening. Uh, thank you so much for listening to another long episode of my podcast, Podcast Racing. Hope you guys are all doing well out there, and I look forward to seeing you guys next time. Bye. Now this is Podcast Racing.